Okay, have you got your Bibles? You know, it's so strange, you know, when you preach during the lockdown, different styles of communication uh, has been administered. When I first came in, the first Sunday morning we were in lockdown, there was no one in the building and the chairs were just out. And Ralph set the sound up for me and I was on my own in the building. And, I, and what I did is I, being creatures of habit, you all sit in similar seats. And that helped me the first day because I could see your faces in the seats. And I was just speaking as if I had a full church. And the, tell you what, the response was amazing. <laughs> the response was amazing. And then obviously, if it wouldn't have been for Tom and Ralph and, uh, you know, coming in and doing the filming for us, them, those boys were awesome, by the way. They kept us going. And their skills and Scott and, and others who joined in on that journey. Then we started to do it by film. But it's still strange when you're talking down a camera and there's still nobody there. Tom's picking his nose and, you know, <laughs> he wasn't. But it's strange when you're speaking into a camera and there's nobody there. And you're trusting that what you're saying has going to come out the other end. Then you go to Zoom. And then you see people walk, getting up and having a cup of tea. Or you might see a blank screen. And you see all kinds of that, and you just, you just can't get your hands around people, and you can't gauge how what you're saying, if it's having any effect upon people. And this is where you've just got to trust God that what you're saying is what you need to say. And how people respond and feed from that word is their responsibility. We've all been challenged of how to receive just of, of late. And it's, it's important that we keep our ears fully tuned to what God is saying, irrespective of how it's coming to us. Whether it's coming through the internet, whether it's coming, you know, um, direct on a Sunday morning. You've just got to keep your heart wide open because God is still speaking to us. Amen. God is still speaking. You know, nature is a beautiful thing. And I'm sure during lockdown, or, you know, restrictions, we've all discovered nature. People have been walking, going for walks. In fact, you try and buy a bike at the moment. It's difficult to buy a bike because everybody wants to get outside. And the more you go outside, the more you discover nature. And God had a lot to say about nature. He said in Luke 12, you don't have to go, I'm just going to refer to some things. In Luke, he said, well, teaching the disciples, he said, let's look at creation. Let's look at it and see how it handles life in the midst of all shakings. We said, you know, first of all, design, I should say, creation has beauty. It has design. It has significance and importance. And it has rhythm and it has seasonal change. Amen? Yeah. Seasonal change. And he says, look, consider the raven. The raven doesn't sow or doesn't reap. And, and uh, it you know, stores food up. It doesn't have a, a barn to go into. He said, but God takes care of the raven. So there's no stress or crisis in the raven's household, despite the raven living in a world that's been shaken. And then he says, well, let's look at the, the lilies. Look at the lilies of the valley. <clears throat> he says, Solomon wasn't even dressed in all the splendor as them. So even in the lilies, the lilies in the field are not in crisis, even though they are living in a world and part of a world that's been shaken and is in crisis. It's amazing. And then look at the grass. The grass doesn't, you know, withers. It goes with age. We cut the grass. Cut my grass yesterday. 
But there's no crisis in the world of the grass. But yet we are far more valuable to God than any of those things. And yet we live in a world that's been shaken. And yet crisis is often found in us. So creation is at peace and at ease. And yet it's in crisis. And yet God, uh, sorry, mankind who God loves are found in crisis when we are more valuable than creation itself. And it's important, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Now that's where crisis begins. Will we have enough money for food? Will we be able to go and do our shopping? Will I still keep my job during this, this uh, economic uh, upturn, downturn, crash, whatever you want to call it? Will I, will, we, will I, will I, will it affect my pension? Will it affect, and all these concerns. And Jesus tells the disciples, he said, look, that is the behavior of the pagans. The pagans run around and they struggle where their next meal is. Will they have the latest car? Will they be able to afford a mortgage? Will they be able to, will they be able to, will they be able to? He says, stop, this is not the pattern of behavior I want for my children. Your heavenly father knows that you have needs. Let's start there. He knows you have needs. He knows that you don't have enough money or you have insufficient funds for certain projects you've got in mind. He knows that some of you young people want jobs. You want careers. Some of you are looking for wives and husbands. Because you know you want to start a life. And God says, I know all about that. These are the needs I've put in mankind. But I want to show you that as a father, I can take care of all your needs. Not your wants, not your desires, but your wants. Sorry, your needs. But you need to see me as your father. And if you can trust me as a father, and trust me, even when it looks like these things are not coming, trust me, and I will bring the things that you need. What I won't do is I won't allow you to go into, you know, stupid decisions. I won't allow you to make stupid decisions and expect me to bless it. I can't do the stupid. I'm God. I do the wise. I do the pure. I do the innocent. So if you want God's way, you've got to do it God's way. You can't do stupid and expect God to smile and bless it. You know how I know I've done it. I've tried stupid, and stupid's common to all creation. Stupid is stupid. Doesn't matter what nationality you're in. People do stupid things. But God is God. Now, whenever you see a leaf falling from the tree, what do you observe? When you see leaf falling from a tree, you observe that there is a there has been a change in the temperature. And that there is coming a season, a new season. And the leaves falling off the tree tells us that something's changing. Something is changing. Now right now, as you look round outside, the leaves are still on the tree. But that's the natural season. But spiritually, things, once the temperature starts to change and the wind begins to blow, everything that doesn't have an attachment, a strong foundation begins to be shaken and leaves don't really have to put up a lot of resistance for them to be shaken and the breeze comes against the tree and the leaves fall on the floor and we call it autumn 
And we love walking through the autumn day, kicking the leaves, but it's a distinct change. I'll show you, it's a sign that a distinct change has taken place. Spiritually, guys, the leaves are falling. The leaves are falling. There is a distinct change taking place. There is, not because of a crisis in us, but God is bringing a change for us. For the people, there is a crisis going on. But for inside, we're not in crisis. I said to you, on the first message I preached during the lockdown, yeah, I remember what I've said. Sometimes. On the first, the first message I preached on the lockdown, do you know what it was? We can thrive through this pandemic rather than having to survive. It was a mentality that we needed. And why? Because I said the first animal I pointed of, the first part of creation I pointed to was when the earth was flooded, what was the one part of creation that didn't die? Not talking about the animals on the ark now, was the fish. Why didn't the fish die? Because the fish were in their natural habitation. And if you can be found in God, that's your natural habitation. And whatever happens, whatever flood comes in your life, whatever crisis comes over your life, if you are found in your right habitation, you will not get swept away. We've just been singing about a firm foundation. The fish swim in water. That's their natural habitation. And it doesn't matter how high those waters go. Fish don't care. I don't know if you know, fish can swim. Fish can swim. So, <clears throat> once upon a time, God spoke to Israel and to Judah. And he told her that you're about to enter into a season of crisis. And because sin had been engraved in a heart... And, and like an iron tool, God had inscribed it into a heart, in a tablet of a heart. And he, this is what he said to us. He said, I'm about to take your inheritance away from your land. Now, that's, I, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty severe crisis about to come upon a people when God says, because of your sin and your wickedness, I'm about to remove your inheritance. Can you imagine if your mother and father said, because you've been a, bit, you've been a naughty boy... Or a naughty girl, we're gonna, me and your mother's just decided we're going to remove your inheritance. Can you imagine what? Yeah, Pando, can you imagine that, what that would look like? Mum and I said, you've got nothing left for you, girl. It's gone. All because you've been a naughty or a numpty. But this is what was going to happen, he said, because of their wayward behavior. Now, he describes them as being a bush in a wasteland. A bush and a wasteland who will not see prosperity when it comes. There's nothing worse being around everybody else who's getting blessed and you're not. There's nothing worse than everyone, you know, in your work, getting, impl- uh, getting upgrades in jobs, promotions, and you're not. You're being overlooked. And you feel like you're the bush in the wasteland. And you feel like God's holding back his blessing from your life. You're all quiet on me. I could take it you're all flourishing then. And when prosperity came, this nation would not receive a blessing. Wow. And he said they will dwell in a parched land, a desert, in salt land, 
In other words, a place where they'll constantly cry out for thirst. That doesn't sound good, does it? And then he fires out this ray of hope to them. Jeremiah 17. Do you want to go there, Jeremiah 17? Jeremiah 17, 7. He said, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He's gone through all that, what's going to happen. And then he pauses in that whole chapter. And then he said, but blessed is the man. So this is going to happen. The nation's going to lose its inheritance. They're going to become a bush in the wasteland, in the salt land. Uh, but, but, are you, are you glad of a but? But blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when it comes. So you can be around crisis. Crisis doesn't have to come to you. But blessed is the man, the woman, the the boy, the girl, the child who puts their trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted. They will be like a tree, like a tree planted by the water. It sends out its roots. Now, you're going to be planted by the water in a land where there's no water, but for you there will be a supply. So it doesn't matter what crisis is taking place outside. If you're planted in God, God, it's God's responsibility to supply to you what you need. Providing you're planted in him. You hear that, young people? It's so important. Because you'll always try to find a way to make your things, your, your ends meet. But God says, no, no, no. If I'm the source of your life, trust me first. It doesn't mean to say you don't have to do things. You do. But your first port of call is to trust the Lord. You know what? I've had money and I've lived without money and I know which one I like. But when you have money, can you use it? That's the greater challenge. When you have money, can you use it? Do you know how to spend it? Do you know how to spend it? People say, oh, I know how to spend it. I don't mean it like that. Do you know how to spend money? Spending money wisely is a skill. So, then he says this. It does not fear when it comes. Its leaves are always green. So if there's a change in the temperature, there doesn't have to be a change in the temperature inside you. Your leaves can remain green in a season of change. Isn't that good news? You can't can't turn around and say, well, it happened because, 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 because. You're not a because kind of person. You're not a stat. You're a child of God. And you're supposed to know and walk with the one who controls all things. And he says this, it does not fear when it heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. <coughs> and never fails to bear fruit. So even though the company may be downsizing, you can be promoted. I am a living witness to that very thing. In the midst of a company I worked for, it was getting rid of all, half its workforce, and in the midst of that, I got promoted. You, you had a very similar thing, didn't you? God is able to do all things we can't imagine, think about. God's able, providing you're planted in God. So, <clears throat> the point Scripture is making in using the analogy of, of the tree is there, there are people 
who change, who allow their temperature to change because of the circumstances going on around them. And there are those who use the circumstances to push into God and to remain green. Part of the Green Party. I remain green in God. You can choose to thrive or you can choose to survive. I chose to thrive. Amen? I've chose. I've never known a season in my time, because I'm not a war baby. I know some of you might think I'm old enough to have been in a war, but I'm not. Though I've fought a few battles, I've never been in a war. I'm not a war baby, so I'm a survivor of the 1940s. I'm a 1960s child. I'm a thriver of the 60s. 70s, 80s, 90s and onwards. But I know this. I've never had to survive the blitz. A war. Though our nations had a few skirmishes, I've never had to fight in a war. But I understand this, is that crisis comes to nations from season to season. Whether it's economical, whether it's political, whether it's military, militarial, Crises come to nations from time to time. And how the people handle those crises determine whether they thrive or survive. It took Europe a long, long time to thrive after the war. But look at it now. You, some of you young people go right across Europe and you think it all looks beautiful. But that's a landscape that's been littered with war. And look at it today. It looks beautiful. Well, there's some things we can learn about a crisis, and I want to just give you some things. The first things that we, we understand about a crisis is this, is that a crisis is an event which you may not have no control over. A crisis is an event that you may not have any control over. <laughs> when a crisis comes... The crisis tries to dictate. And you may not always have that control, but you do have God. You do have a brain. You do have a spirit. You do have many things at your disposal, whether you decide to use them or not. You know, we don't have control over many, many things. I don't know about you, but during COVID, we've, we've heard of, oh, sure, the last 18 months, we've heard of the UN, the EU, the, the HWO, MI5, CIA, G7, COBRA, COVID task force. None of those things you have any control over. But they all operate outside of you. And at some point in those organizations, their decisions may affect you. True? I don't have control over those things. I don't need control over those things. What I do need control over is over my own heart and mind. Because if I, if I first and foremost learn to rule my own heart and mind, I can keep myself in peace. And I can keep myself stable. You must rule your own heart and mind first. Because there are things that you can't control, but you have to focus on those things you can control and not can't control. And what you can control is your heart and mind. Yeah? You know, I probably got more feedback when you were on Zoom. And you were all muted. <clears throat> all these things are created, all those organizations are created to run during the midst of a crisis or an event. 
You and I don't have control over those things, but we do have control over ourselves. You know, stupidity, I don't know if you noticed, stupidity runs large. It runs free. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. What you are in control of is your spirit. Your spirituality. What you are in control of is your spirit, your own spirituality, your own thoughts, attitudes and actions. Let me say that again. What you are in control of is your spirit, your spirituality, your thoughts, your attitude and your actions. It has amazed me over this last 18 months how Christians have not taken responsibility for their spirituality. How they've relied on Zoom to take care. As long as I just turn up on Zoom every now and then, tune in every, every blue moon. The, I always knew that when this pandemic started, it would reveal what is not built on the other side. And I spoke to us only a couple of weeks ago about scaffolding. God was taking the scaffolding away. And I have been so amazed by what I've seen. And the, the lack of responsibility I've seen in so many people. Not everyone, but in, in some people. Their, their abandonment of their own spirituality. Taking control for, of their own spirituality. Because I can't come to church. So therefore, it's not my fault. And, and God knows I can't come to church. So therefore, I don't need spirituality. It's not my fault, Lord, because there's no one there to preach to me. What an, what an abandonment that attitude is. Think of Paul. He wrote his letters from the cell. Think of those disciples. Think of millions of believers. Millions. Think of the believers in China who have no church to go to. Think of people in Iran. People who are persecuted wherever the, the, their faith is being persecuted. People have to take responsibility for their own spirituality. And after maturity, you can thrive, not survive. And crisis, you're not always in control, but you are in control of some things. And you're in control of your thought, your spirit, your own spirituality, your thoughts, your attitude, and your actions. You can control those things. Every one of those things is in your control. Not my control, your control. So you can't turn around and say, it's not my fault. To some degree, it's not your fault. Absolutely. You didn't cre create the crisis. But you are responsible for how the crisis treats you. Amen? It's not seeing your faces week in and week out. Wondering how you're all doing. Did you ever think that a leadership could be concerned about you? No, let's set the silence as... No, no, no. Everyone's, it's every man for himself. Run. You know, I was watching a program the other day about the Dunkirk. And they were told, the soldiers were told, when, they were on, when those 300,000 soldiers were on the beach, do you know what the British government said to them? You're on your own, boys. You're on your own. Every man for himself, because the German forces were advancing. You're on your own. Can you imagine being told that by your own government? The ones who sent you, you're on your own. Can you imagine if I'd, we'd have sent an email out during the pandemic? We just want to tell you, 
God tells you, you're on your own, do the best you can. Don't need to talk to you now. If you make it through the pandemic, we'll meet again in that beautiful land. Away far beyond Jordan. But no, we didn't. We didn't just disconnect from you. We tried to minister, tried to pray for you, tried to keep you in position. Some of you may never know what, you, what other people's prayers have achieved for you. But you weren't on your own. It might have felt like you were on your own. But you were never on your own. Why? Because others have been batting for you. It's been a long, hard season for some of us who have stayed at the, stayed at the crease. But for those who abandoned themselves, who didn't take control of their spirituality, their own thinking, to them it's been a long season. But know this, behind them, there's been others. Amen. Second thing about a crisis we learn. When crisis comes, shaking, we learn... When a crisis comes and it shakes, what we learn, and what, this is a very important principle, get this. When crisis comes and it shakes, what we learn is nothing and no one is permanent. Nothing and no one is permanent. Things change, which we thought, we took for granted, they'll always be there, they change. People leave. People change. People move and go in an opposite direction. See, one of the things about being in a home is this. When children get up in the morning, one of the most stable things in the life of a child is to see mum and dad there. It brings so much strength and so much clarity and help. They take it for granted that mum and dad will be there. When they get up in the morning, they, they take it for granted that the, that the mum will be the one picking the socks up and the shoes. And as they get into the front door and they still haven't got the shoes and socks, and the mum's saying, come on, you're supposed to be ready. And mum's got to go round, and dad's going round picking up the shoes. And the, where's your bag? Look, you've still not got your bag. And mum's thinking steps ahead of the child. Just so that when the child steps out the door, it looks like the kid's got it all together. But the kid hasn't got it together and never will get it together because mum and dad are at the back there getting it together and keeping it together. And then they come to a point where they're a teenager and mum and dad are still around after them. Now, by this time, they know how to find their own shoes and socks. You, you can imagine what this is going to be. Well, it's a long time since he's done it, but you're going to find it with the, with the next one. Jake's going to be running around finding Josh's shoes and socks. The thing is, when you get to a teenager, his mum, where's that shirt? It's in the ironing. What ironing? Where's the ironing? Didn't know we had an ironing basket. Now kids need mum and dad at a different level. But all the way through our life, we need someone. But what happens, when, when do you actually grow up and become the one responsible? At some point, we all have to grow up and take responsibility for ourselves. Is that not true? Things change. This church is saying some people are not coming back. Some people are not coming back. Why? Things change. People change. Things have been done. Not always, you're not in control of everything. People change. But guess what? A season's changing, more people's coming in. And things change. Nothing is permanent. He could change tomorrow. You could change tomorrow. You could change. We all could change. I could leave tomorrow. Well, maybe not. (laughs) Nothing's permanent. 
Nothing is permanent. Things change in the natural. We change. How many times do we change our furniture? How, many, how often do we change our electrical devices? Phones need the latest one. We change it. Nothing's permanent. But this, the only thing that's permanent, when nothing is permanent, do you know the only thing that is permanent? The promises of God. The only thing that's permanent when nothing else is permanent is the promises of God. What God spoke, God spoke before the crisis. He knew the wind was coming. You must stand on the promises of God. Because if you trust in the people, the people will change. Nothing is permanent. I've learned that in life. One of the greatest gifts you'll ever find in a friend is their loyalty. You know, I've had some friends a long time. I take this, this couple here at the side of me. If there's one thing I can say about Phil, there's not a lot of things I can say about him, but there's one thing I can say about him. <laughs> not in public, anyway. They're permanent. Their friendship has been steadfast, but it could change. And I'm aware it could change. So I treasure what I have. A friend you have, do you remember the song from the Toy Story, You Got a Friend in Me? That's our story. <laughs> he's got a friend in me. I don't know the rest of the words, but I just know that he's got a friend in me. But loyalty is a very important thing. Very powerful thing. The next friend, well, the first friend I have is Carol. So she walks through the door. See, you time that perfect then, love. Time that perfect. Whew, I tell you what. Whew. If I want my marriage to stay permanent, I better say, just as she came through the door, and he's, no, I mean it, Carol's, my first and foremost is my best friend then these two and this gentleman over here and his wife they've been a rock to us just as valuable as Phil and Ange and you go through your life finding some things that all can change things can change people change people let you down they don't always mean it but they do it and life uncertain, but the promises of God. Because I know with the promises of God, God will always bring the right people to me. And you've got to understand, stand on the promises of God. God will bring the right things to you if you stand on the promises of God. The, tree, the, the leaves are falling, but you don't have to fall with it. We've already read from Jeremiah. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And that's why things are not permanent, because there's a time and a season for everything. And when things are, have, have had their time and their season, they, they cease to remain permanent. The problem is, is when you and I try to make things that have come to the end, of, listen to me, things that have come to the end of their season, we try to keep them permanent. You can't keep things that have come to the end of their time permanent. And the first thing you try to keep is yourself you try to stay somewhere longer than you should have. You try to keep on doing something longer than you should have. You keep backing something longer than you should have. And there's a season. And God, doesn't, God knows that we're attached to things, so God takes that out of our control. There are some things we're not in control of. And God takes those things out of our control to bring about the change that needs to happen. If he left everything in your control, things wouldn't change. Because we are creatures by habit, we like to put down roots. We want our life to be safe and normal. But life isn't like that. Amen? 
So we need to work on the promises of God. What has God spoken to you? What has he promised? Not what you want him to promise you. What has he spoken? Seasons can bring positive change and they can bring negative change. They can bring destructive change. They can bring permanent change. But the promises of God are there. Now let me ask you a different question. What kind of change has taken place in you in the last 15 months? Has there been a change? Are you more happier? Are you less happier? Are you less content? Are you more frustrated? What changes have taken place inside of you so the third thing we learn about a crisis this is crisis crisis watch this crisis is only temporary it's not permanent no matter how bad it gets crisis is only temporary now how long that season lasts determines largely on your response to what's going on but a crisis is not permanent it's temporary you know, we've had some battles in the last 18 months as a team, not with one another. And we've realized that things are temporary, nothing's permanent. We've learned a lot in this last 18 months. And I'm sure you have. And you learn that some things are subject to change. But crisis is a temporary condition that takes place, that takes place either inside of you or around you. Yeah? But always remember, God is not in that place. God's outside the crisis. God is not in the same place you're in. That's why God wants you to come to where he is. Hello? Say, Lord, I'm in crisis, come. He says, no, 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 no. Remember the rule, put down your nets and follow me. I'm over here. Come to where there is no crisis. Come to where there is no crisis. So we say, well, Lord, come to me. I'm in crisis. I need help. He says, come to me. And as you walk to him, you find, you take on what he's got and what he is. Yeah? In Isaiah 26, 4, it says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. He says it twice. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. This is why you need to trust and come to where he is. Trust in him and come where he is. In 1 Peter 5.10 it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you've, after you've suffered a little while. He's promising us times of crisis. But it's only temporary. Don't worry. After you've suffered a little while, none of us want to suffer. But remember, there are some crises that we're not in control of. The reason why God brings some crises is to mature us. It's to mature us. But after you've suffered a little while, this is what he says. He himself will restore you. And make you strong. Firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. After you've suffered a little while. None of us want to suffer. Anyone volunteering for suffering? No, didn't think so. So we understand that crisis is temporary. But God is permanent. And God is the rock. God is rock steady and he's stable. So the fourth thing we learn about crisis is is when crises come, they come to test the foundation of your life. We sang about it this morning. 
When crisis comes, it comes to test the foundation of your life. What is the foundation of your life? Can you take care of your own spirit, your own spirituality? Can you take care of your own mind, your own thoughts? Can you take care of your own pocket? Because your pocket and your mind are linked together. You think about what you want to spend me on. You feel things, so therefore you spend. You spend by impulse. Why do you think when you go to a supermarket, all the nice things, the chocolate and all that stuff is right there in front of your eyes. Why? Because it's, it's designed to market you on an impulse buy. I don't need chocolate. I walk out of the supermarket with things I didn't go in for. Because my eyes were bigger than my belly. And everything's at eye level because that's the know when you walk into a supermarket, everything's at eye level. But if you want the bargains, go downstairs. Look at the bottom shelf because they don't advertise where the bargains are because they know your eye level is there. Now, if you're small and filled, that could be the bottom shelf. But, <laughs> but for someone like me, it could be the top shelf. Size, you're just easy to hack it. <laughs> and the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. The fourth thing we learn about Christ is, is this. It, it comes to test the foundation of your life. Luke 6, 6, uh, 6, Luke 6 verse 47. Luke six forty-seven. He says, and I'll show you what he's like when he comes to me and hears my words and put them into practice. I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck that house but could not shake it, it's because it's well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment crisis came or the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Stupidity will bring destruction to our life. Backsliding will bring destruction to our life. Ungodliness will bring destruction to our life. The clear, the issue is what do you do with what you've been taught? How you then take it away and build it into your life? That's why crisis comes to highlight what is and what is not in your foundation. Well, the fifth thing we learn about crisis. When a crisis comes, it comes to shake. We know that. But it comes to do three things. Are you ready? Want to write this down? It comes to expose. It comes to depose. And it comes to awake. It comes to expose. It comes to depose and it comes to awake. I woke up a couple of months ago to a crisis of a burst pipe in our house. It definitely woke me up. <laughs> it sounded like I had a waterfall running through the house. A waterfall. So when a crisis comes, it comes to shake. We know that. But it comes to Expose, depose, and awake. Now, expose means to reveal or to make known what is hidden, visible. 
to reveal on what make what, no, sorry, or make known what is hidden. God shakes lives to expose waywardness and sin. Secret sins. God will bring a crisis to shake you from what you're hiding so what's been hidden becomes visible. Beware your sins will find you out. How do they find you out? Because God brings a crisis that exposes them. So everything that's hidden will come to light eventually. Might take 10, 20 years. Might take 5 minutes. God will expose. Sinful behavior will be exposed and rooted out. Skeletons in your cupboard will be uncovered. You think, well, I'm only 18, 19, 20. I haven't got any skeletons. Well, we'll find out when God exposes them. Because it'll show us what you feel about what's being uncovered. Then to depose means this. To remove from office suddenly or forcefully. This is, we see this in leaders how many of our government leaders have been shifted through crisis, through COVID? We've got now Dominic Ming who's just venting his anger because he got exposed. And there's how many other, other guys will, will be exposed? Well, they've been, in their exposure, they're being deposed, they're being taken out of office. Now, if you're a Christian and your sin exposes you, and now you're deposed for it, you've lost your influence and you've lost the very place that God gave to you. Do, how long do you think God would allow me to be the pastor in this house if I had secret sins? There will come a day when God will depose what he put in office. Right, so when you get promotion and get the favour of God... You must walk and keep walking to keep that favour over your life or there will come a day when you will be deposed. And crisis will come to remove you where once the wind blew to put you in a place, now it will remove you from the place because of the way you walk before God. It's important that we understand so many Christian men have fallen and have been, ex- have been deposed Because they couldn't keep their life clean. Some you don't hear of. Many you do. God deposes. So the first thing he comes to expose. The next thing he comes is to depose. The next thing is to awake. He comes to shake and bring crisis. To awaken you to what's going on. It's his mercy. He gives us opportunity to change. I showed you. I warned you about this. I spoke about this to you, but because we could, you didn't apply the words correctly, a shaking comes to awake you. Wow. Revelation 2 says, Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received, heard, and obey it, and repent. But if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not, be, you will not know what time I'll come in. <coughs> so we must be awake at this time. Lastly, sixth thing we learn about a crisis. The last thing we learn about a crisis is crisis come to prove the word of the Lord in you. To prove, to prune, And approve the word 
inside of you to prove, to prune, and to approve the word. When God speaks to you and gives you a promise, testing and challenging and crisis will come. When Job was under stress, God had spoken to Job, and Satan came and challenged Job, and Job lost an awful lot. It's a long story there. But the issue is, he came to prove what God, God's word inside of Job. Because God says to him, look at my servant Job, there's no one like him. Well, he's only like because you put a shield around him. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, put a shield, I'll take me, me, me covering away from him, but you can't touch him. But you can touch other things. But you can't touch him. And in all that testing, it came and the word was proven in him. Don't think you're going to do mighty things for God without challenges and crisis. God has to test his word inside of you. So whatever promise you've got, just know that you're going to have to fight to stand strong so that the word of the Lord can be proved. Because it's God's word that has to be proved inside of you. Amen? How many of you know that when crises come, we feel pain? Anybody ever felt pain? Pain forces you to look. To look to the word of God for answers. Pain forces you to learn to lean. Lean what? Lean on the arms on the everlasting arms of God. But you see, what we do, we want to lean on the everlasting arms of men. But pain should cause us to lean on the everlasting arms of God. Pain forces you to learn not to go astray. Oh yeah. Some things that happen, you think, I'll never do that again. The consequence was too severe. Boy, did I get a, a whooping from my mum and dad. Boy, did I get a scalding. Boy, did I get in detention. Boy, did I, did I nearly lose my job. They come to learn, to show you boundaries and where you're going astray. Pain forces you to long for God's presence. Take it away, Lord, take it away. I can't handle this anymore, Lord. Pain forces you to do one thing. Listen, we all know this, raising children. How hard is it to scold a child, hoping that they'll listen, and they get harder and harder and harder, and the parent's going, oh, my Lord. Why can't you just learn quicker and their pain to be less? Because of the inside the child. Pain forces you to love and to show um, forgiveness to those you love. You know, when we, when we have pain and we go before God, God shows us the area where our pain exists and why it exists. And once we listen to what God says, he says, go and forgive that person. I go, no way, no way, no way, Jose. Well, your pain will continue then. Go and do something that is counter-opposite to what you're feeling. Why should I forgive them when they were the one who hurt me? Because I'm telling you. I'm your father. I'm telling you that if you want this pain to go away, this is the remedy. Go and say you're sorry and humble yourself. But it's not my fault. But this is the key to you, to you not feeling pain much longer. If you say, forgive me, I'm sorry, humble yourself, that is the key to you walking out of pain. But I don't like that way, Lord. Right, we'll stay in pain a bit longer then. 
until eventually you say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I'll go and humble myself. Now, God's watching that. He didn't come up to Paul and say, I'm sorry, Paul, sorry, sorry, see, Lord, I've said I'm sorry now. God says, no, I'm watching your heart to see if you really sincerely mean it. Some of you young people may have to go and take the first initiative to say you're sorry. How can I do that? I'll lose my credibility. No, you won't. God's watching up there. You'll be amazed what your humility will do for you. Saying you're sorry will set you free. It will. Do you know I know that? I've had to do it on many, many occasions. The key, so in conclusion, the key, the key to life is you learning to outlast your season. You've learned to outlast the season you're in. If you can't survive the season, you're gone. You've got to last the season you're going through. It's not easy. But I've already said, you can control some things. So the key is trying to outlast the season you're in. For if you will stray, sorry, if you'll stay uh, long enough, the summer will come. If you stay long enough, the summer will come. If, if you stay long enough, health and well-being will come. If you stay. If you stay afloat, financially, long enough, prosperity will come. Flourishing will come. If you stay faithful long enough, love, peace and faithfulness will come. If you can keep in the fight long enough, victory and deliverance will come. If you'll keep building and planting, a harvest will come. If... If you keep trusting in God, God will come to your deliverance. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For the gracious and compassionate, a righteous man, God will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His arm will be lifted high in honor. Crisis. See all those things that come out of a man who goes through Christ, who, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. So, folks, crisis is here. Crisis is here to stay. But there are some things you and I don't have control over. But today we're going to take control over the things that we can take control over. That's our spirit. That's our spirituality. That's our thoughts. And that's our actions. We can take control over those four things. And when we plant them in God, if we plant them in God, then all those things that we've just heard about, the promises of God, the providence of God, 
All those things will keep us and we will flourish in a time of crisis. Do you believe that? You will, lean, you will look to lean on many things in life only to come back to find that there's only some things, there's only one thing that's permanent, that's the presence and the promises of God. Nothing is permanent outside that. People will let you down. People shift. People make promises and then break them. But God is everlasting. God's word you can take to the bank. But it all depends. Everything is, is prefaced around that word if. If you will make the Lord your, the most high. If you will stand in his presence. So let's, now let's stand in his presence now. Let's, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. Crisis. <laughs> You're here, aren't you? I want you to cl- just close your eyes for a second and see leaf, the green leaf on the tree. And see the, see the wind blowing violently against the tree and see yourself as being a leaf. But you're not falling from that tree. You're f- steadfast. You're green. You're fixed. You're flourishing. It's a green leaf. It's not brown. It's not dying. It's not coming to the end of its life. But it can be shaken. Now if it gets shaken and it falls from the tree, it will get trampled on at some point. But your life is not meant to be trampled on. Your life is meant to be planted so it will flourish so that when the wind blows, you and all that's in you stays fully upright. That's God's picture for you. And God gives us his principles in order to help us keep that life. So I want you to first and foremost say in your own heart, Lord, that is me. Ah, Yes, I have had a shaking. I can't feel the wind right now. And there is a change in the temperature. And I want you to tell yourself that crisis is not permanent. My crisis is not permanent. Whatever you're going through, it's not permanent. It's temporary. But if I don't deal with it, it will prolong Longer than it should. So Lord, give me the wisdom. Come on, ask the Lord. Give me the wisdom to yield to you whatever needs to be yielded. To discipline what needs to be disciplined. To submit what in the area that I need to be submitted. To acknowledge what things I've not been acknowledging. Lord, if I want to bring this season to, its, to an end quicker then I need to acknowledge some things. Father, it's temporary, but I do not want it to be prolonged. Father, do what you need to do. And I'm giving my heart to you, Lord. I'm giving a response to you now. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that your promises are permanent. Your promises are yes and they are amen. So, Father, from this day on, Lord, I reconnect myself with the promises in the midst of a crisis. And I speak the promises of God over my crisis. Knowing that you are faithful. That you you are just and you are faithful to hear me, O God. And you will rise, Lord, over my tent in the the hour of trial. (coughs) Father, I thank you that you are my God. And your promises are eternal to me. 
Father, I thank you that you brought me this, thus far. But there is so much more left. There's so much potential in me that has not yet been discovered. That has not yet been used. That has not been untapped. Lord, I know that for every potential there will be a season of challenge and change. And each season will tap and bring to the surface what's been embedded within me. Lord, bring it to the surface. Shake what needs to be shaken. So all that is good within me, O God, can come to the surface. And all that's bad within me (coughs) can be flushed out. Oh, Father, I ask you, O God, oh God, ignite my potentials. Anoint my potentials. Help me find the grace for my potentials. In Jesus' name, I ask and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And the people of God said... Amen. Welcome back to the house of the Lord, people.